Let's Podcast alongside Joe Giglio. I'm Joe Ovias inside Eford Studios, downtown Raleigh. Thanks to Empire Properties and thanks to Copiers Plus. Check them out online at copiers-plus.com. Print management, doc, document management. Get that assessment today. See where you can save money. I know a lot of NC State fans want to know if they're saving money somewhere in the administration to go get a new coach, Joe, after last night. We're, we're back on the game-to-game referendum with the Wolfpack, Joe. Look at you shaking your head. Look at you shaking your head. I mean... <laughs> All right, NC State could help themselves by not doing what they did in the first half last night. Yes. I I mean, full transparency. You know, I like Kevin Keats. Um, The the first half of this basketball game can't happen. And he could sit there and tell you after the game, hey, you know, we we looked at the scouting report. Well, what'd you do? What'd you do different in the second half? Well, we looked at the scouting report. You, You can't come out and play basketball in the first 20 minutes of the game defensively, the way that NC state came out and played basketball, they gave up 55 points to Syracuse. Mm -hmm. And this is after you played them up there and played poorly in the first half. And it cost you up there against them. What made the ACC great many, many, many a year ago was you got me the first time I'm going to get you at my place. And I know how much the league has changed, but that mentality still has to exist. And they showed what they were capable of in the second half. And uh, Kevin certainly has a gripe for the call, non-call against DJ at the end of the game. But you can't put yourself in a position to, to even be in a basketball game where you're giving up 55 points and a half. Well, it's not even that. Like Chris Bell, I think Chris Bell broke the space-time continuum on multiple levels. Brian Ives over at the ACC Network pointing out eight three-pointers at halftime. For reference, here's a list of the most three-pointers in a game in ACC history. 2002, you had Craig Dawson of Wake Forest with 11. In 1988, you had Dennis Scott with 11 at Georgia Tech. And in 2018, you had Matt Farrell, Notre Dame. Uh, with 10. that That's the pace that they were going. And you knew there was going to be a regression, but when you put yourself down in a 15-point hole, you are putting yourself into a lot of work to get back into this game, which they did. That's the, that's the wild part. They did get back into this game. They did get some help from whistles and non-whistles along the way. And I, it's, it's weird. In, in being at that game last night, it was a dumb game. On multiple levels. I mentioned the scoreboard, like the scoreboard was correct, but the ESPN app wasn't and stats broadcast wasn't at one point. Ben Middlebrooks was at the line to tie it up 83, 83, but they initially gave Syracuse the points on the home scoreboard when Ben Middlebrooks made the free throw. So it was all sorts of weird. It was, and the Corgi race was a mess. The Corgi race didn't start on time. Then they finally delivered. It was just one of those classic hashtag go ACC nights. My everybody's frustrated with NC State. I think I think that's a fair statement. Kevin Keats is frustrated with his team with the way that they played. Fans are frustrated with the current situation where it looks like once again they're making life difficult for themselves and they're going to miss the NCAA tournament. I'm frustrated with the discourse around NC State because last night was a prime example where everybody was like, "Well, the KK special's on the way. He can't coach." 
this, you know, after the timeout possession is going to be a disaster, except they literally just won a game that way. They've won a multiple games coming out of timeouts with sets and everything else. So please, I get that everybody's mad. I get that everybody's frustrated, but at least be honest about being mad and don't be willfully ignorant about certain things that have happened this season. But I think I'm I'm bringing all this up to just kind of give you a general idea of where things are around the Wolfpack. And I think you nailed it, Joe. They just make things difficult on themselves when they had an opportunity. And this is where Keats's frustration came through last night in the post game. And it wasn't about officiating because I know he was staring down the official after the lack of call on DJ Horn. I mean, I actually wondered if it was going to be worth the fine in his mind to call out officiating at the end of the game. And maybe he thought, nah, you know what? We got some benefits down the stretch. I think the, the what what you hit on the on the head here is the frustration that Keats showed after the game when he said, we gave ourselves an opportunity to be back in the mix. And this, this is how you respond. And it's a confluence of coaching players. How do you get through to them? How do they not back down after a game like that, which can be deflating when you have more opportunities with Duke and North Carolina down the line? It's the, the whole thing is just a very frustrating experience around NC State basketball. And it's too bad because I thought in the second half they showed, you know, you've been asking what is their identity. And we, we saw this at Clemson when they're down 12 points in the second half of that basketball game. Mm-hmm. This is This is a team that actually fights. Unfortunately for them, they wait to fight. You can't wait to fight. Yeah. And, and, you know, Clemson, they played really well in the first half. They fall behind in the second half. They fight back. This game, I I can't explain a team shooting 70% in your building from the three-point line. I I can't explain that. I can't explain a team (laughs) making 60% of all their shots in your building. Yeah. uh, You know, the game after you're coming home after the most important win of potentially Kevin's tenure. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like those are the kind of things, again, you're playing a team who put it in your mouth at their place. Like at some point you have to take shit personal. The first half of that basketball game was not personal to NC state. Cordier Copeland was like, I mean, he's out there telling you everything you want. I I suspect that kid wasn't recruited by Kevin because he was John. He was talking to everybody and their mother last Mm -hmm. night. And you're, you're letting them come in here and be the Wolfpack hero of the day with 25 points. Like, can't be that way. Somewhere North Carolina fans were watching that game last night. Oh, going, <laughs> banking oh. in shots. Oh, okay. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just us. Oh, oh, okay, cool. First half. Yeah. My gosh. <laughs> Syracuse should well, never he, play anyone other than teams from the state of North Carolina. Well, you said last night when, <laughs> when Mitz missed one, you go, oh, Carolina fans are going, see? <laughs> you had mentioned that last night, but yeah. Overall frustrating experience for the Wolfpack. And yet night. they put themselves in, in position where they had a chance multiple times in, in the last two minutes to win the basketball game it, as Sidney Lowe, basketball philosopher, hockey expert. So accurately said so many different times. Yeah. You got to make shots. It's a make or miss game, man. I know the little music transition, if you watch on YouTube, says positive vibes only. We try to keep it positive. We try to keep it positive on Ovi's and Julio. Unfortunately, NC State can't have nice things and frustrations are boiling over as we discuss. So enough about the game and the frustrations and everything else. Let's talk about what it means 
with our friend Patrick Stevens, Washington Post, our chief bracketologist. Patrick, number one, hello. Number two, before we get started, we need a bobblehead of the day. Well, it is President's Day week, of course, and I thought I would go ahead and go with the theme of Herbert Hoover, uh, our 31st president. Why is he not on a dam? Why is he not on the dam? Um, I, I don't think that was actually constructed or completed while he was president. Yeah, he was, it, it, you know what? It might have been. I think it might have been early 30s that it was completed. But anyway, he is uh, he is ru- running away probably from voters uh, in 1932. <laughs> Should be sitting at a piano with Archie and Edith. There you go. <laughs> that. Those those were the days. <laughs> yes, they were. Yes, oh, they were. Oh, goodness. And Saturday was the day for NC State. Flying high on Saturday, shot down on Tuesday. NC State loses to Syracuse. All right, Patrick, I have a working theory of what's going to happen in the ACC. Are you ready for this? Sure. We've got Wake Forest, Pitt, Syracuse, NC State, and I'm going to include Virginia Tech after their performance on Monday, and obviously you still can't shake that Iowa State win that they have out of the league. I think there's an ultimately going to be two spots for those five teams. You 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 going you buying that or are you selling that? So we're talking. I think in I think that's not unreasonable that we'll ultimately see a five team contingent. Um, you're saying six, six, yes. Don't know if we'll see that. Um, don't know if there's going to be room for that, but. Um, a lot of that's going to depend on who finishes strong. I mean, I think all of those teams that you just mentioned at least have anywhere from a pulse to a very real chance uh, to be able to, to end up inside the field. I mean, I think Wake Forest, the more blowout victories that it stacks, you certainly have to think about like how much better are they than just simply a quad one and quad two win situation. Uh, Pitt has all those road victories. They've, they've, one, they've won at Virginia. They've won at Duke. Uh, you have to at least think about them. Uh, and like you said, Virginia Tech's a team. I, I think Syracuse and NC State right now are are a bit further off the board uh, than 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 certainly Pitt and uh, and and uh, Wake Forest at this stage. Those are teams that have a lot of work to do. All right, about Wake Forest. I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I find them fascinating now. Gilio's Deeks, by Deeks. the way. They don't have the arbitrary Q1, Q2 thing that everybody obsesses over this time of the year. But they are showing you the faults in the net in that you can blow out a couple ACC squads like they did last night against Pitt, which is a good win in and of itself. Mm -hmm. But when you blow them out, you can see that number manipulation take place in the net. And how do you account for that if you're the committee? You know, I feel like there's a number of very of various things the committee uh, gets to face. Whether it's like the 29 and and four mid major that loses in its conference tournament, or the team like a Texas A and M that stacks up a bunch of high end wins and then goes and loses to Vanderbilt, or the reverse, which is Wake Forest, which you know has one quad one win thanks to Florida, um, kind of hanging in there on that front. Nothing bad on its profile. And the answer to a lot of these things is, eh, just send them to Dayton. And it would not, it would not surprise me in the slightest if, eh, send them to Dayton is ultimately the answer uh, to what happens to Wake Forest if they don't add on to that profile between now and now and Selection Sunday. I mean, the good news for them, like I said, besides the lack of that high-end win, is that everything else checks out. Um, 
there's nothing that you're going to sit there and hold against them and say, well, how did that happen? So, uh, you know, if you if you look at them and let's say let's say they get to the end of the regular season, I don't know, 13 and seven, maybe. And they're sitting there 21 and 10 and they kind of do what they're supposed to do in the ACC tournament, 22 and 11. Uh, very decent chance, I think, that that's what we ultimately see of the Deacons. But that's that's projecting out, and there's a lot of basketball still to play. They can they can certainly help themselves a lot come Saturday against Duke. I think it's important right now to review how this works. In the sense, people get this confused often when it how your name and who you get compared to, right? How it works in in the room itself. So they're going to take North Carolina and Duke. Like, and so you ask basically how it works. They ask North Carolina. They go, yeah, they're in. And then they don't even talk about that team. They just put them in a pile mm-hmm. that says they're in. Because we saw this happen last year with Clemson, right? Like, how does Clemson get left out? And NC State, who they beat three times, gets in. And it's like, well, because you're not on a board. Clemson and NC State aren't on a board together. It's it's how you get compared to those other teams. Mm-hmm. That's where, that's where I say, Patrick, I think two of these five teams will get in this tournament. I really believe that. And, and you look at the Wake in particular, they've beaten all those other teams. They just don't have a win over a, a Duke or Carolina, who I think they will beat Duke on Saturday. Uh, Pitt has the win at Duke, has some other really good road wins. They don't have anything out of the league, unfortunately for them. But they have wins over all of those other teams, not named Syracuse. So to me, I feel like these teams are going to end up being on a board. And they're going to be on a board with, you know, a, a Big Ten team. They're going to be on a board with a, a, a Mountain West team. And I, that's where I see them coming out and, and being able to kind of make a little hay, if you will, on Selection Sunday. Well, it, it also, remember, depends on where that where that 36th and 37th team land, right? Yes. Like, okay, so depending on how many upsets you have, like one of the things that if you're Wake Forest, if you are Pitt, who are you rooting for? You're rooting for Florida Atlantic to get its stuff together. Yeah. Make sure that the American is a one bid league rather than too late, but (laughs) it's probably, it might be too late. Um, But who knows? Uh, Florida Atlantic still could win that league uh, tournament. Uh, You're rooting for Indiana state to make sure they don't mess up. You're, you're rooting against Gonzaga for sure. You'd love to see Gonzaga go and lose to St. Mary's two more times and get left out of the field. Uh, You know, we can make a number of these examples uh, if you want, you're rooting for Dayton. Uh, so a lot of it depends on how many bids there really are to work with that aren't getting occupied by teams that you just go, yeah, like the the, the example you give, yeah, they're good. You know, like you, you're not thinking about whether Florida Atlantic with its win over Arizona uh, and a few others is going to be in the field. Unless they collapse, they're going to be in the field. Um, Dayton the same way. So you want those teams to get in, and that creates more opportunities, more more possibilities uh, more slots in the field for for all of these other teams that are just kind of floating around the edge. Patrick Stevens, Washington Post, our chief bracketologist. Before we say goodbye, the NCAA now puts out uh, a check-in, a look-in, mm-hmm. to see where teams are slotted right now if the tournament were to start today. You know, Carolina's on that two-line. I think Duke was on that three-line. Mm-hmm. Did you find any... You know, given that UConn lost last night to Creighton, I don't think that affects anything the way people view, view UConn. But any any issues with the way the NCAA handed things out over the weekend? No. In fact, the way that they had that, that was heading into the games of the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I I had 15 of those 16 teams on those exact lines. Okay. And the exception was um, I had had South Carolina in the field 
before they got blown out by 40 last week against Auburn. So not exactly, not exactly earth shattering news there uh, in that situation. Yeah. I, I think ultimately at this stage of the game, I'm not sure one game moves a whole lot for a team like a Connecticut or even a Purdue anyway. Like I yeah. mean, Purdue still had a profile even after losing to Ohio state that Poor because Purdue. of all of the neutral site games, was better on paper than Connecticut's. And trust me, like I've watched Connecticut in person. They're exceptional. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was the argument. It's funny. That was an argument in going out of, coming out of the weekend about Purdue and UConn and who actually still has a better resume despite the fact that Ohio State beat them. And what you're saying about Purdue tracked with, with, with what a lot of people have been talking about with those two teams. Yeah, I mean, it's just all those neutral site victories that Purdue has are yeah. ridiculous. I mean, uh, you know, Arizona's in that group. They beat Marquette. They beat Gonzaga, which actually is like their fifth best neutral site victory. Uh, and and Connecticut, as good as they are, they, they haven't done quite as much in, uh, away from stores in, in Hartford. And last night was an opportunity to add to that. And, and, you know, the way Creighton plays is they're bound to do that once or twice to somebody really good each season. And they did it last night. So, you know, I still think Purdue and Connecticut are so solidly one, two at this point that, both of them could probably lose out right now and still end up as like a four seed. <laughs> All right. Patrick Stevens, Washington Post. All right, man. We'll talk to you next week. Awesome, fellas. Thanks so much for having me. Housekeeping. Big thanks to Patrick Stevens for hanging out with us. Big thanks to Enovana for sponsoring housekeeping. Check them out online, E-N-O-V-A-N-A.com. You can get a one-time cleaning. You can sign up for a recurring recurring cleaning like I do. They were actually at the house yesterday. and. I'll, I'll reference this again. I got a question from a listener in regards to it was it was posed to me. Would you trust them in your house if you're not there? Which made me go, man, what have you dealt with before? <laughs> but it's a legitimate question. Yeah. It's a legit. I totally get it because it's your house. You're letting somebody in to clean it. It's very personal. And that's why, you know, Vana takes this very, very seriously. This is not like contracts and subcontracts. These are employees. W-2s, XYZ, insured. Background so, checks. You can trust Enovana in that regard. So check them out. E-N-O-V-A-N-A dot com. Housekeeping notes. OG Tailgate is Saturday. PNC Arena. East 1000 lot. The goodies have arrived. I see that. We have, we'll, we'll talk about the shirt in a second. But Breaking Tea delivered. I got a variety of shirts we're going to give away. Stickers and cups should arrive in time for Saturday. So we'll have those to give away. We'll have Butcher's Market in the house. Kenneth's going to be out there doing his thing. Kevin over at Sweetwater is going to help with the beer. So again, six-ish to eight-ish, because remember, there's the changeover. Yeah. NC State's playing Boston College at two o'clock. Maybe NC State fans just want to hang out and drink their sorrows with the Wolfpack with us. I don't know, but you can do that. You bring in the four roses. I could bring some brown liquor. Okay. Probably feels appropriate. It might be. So when the changeover is done, everything else like that, we will probably be set up anywhere between 5.30 to 6 o'clock. Game time is 8 o'clock. We'll wrap things up and everybody can have a good old time. So come hang out with us. Again, speaking of the t-shirts, I am rocking the Dead Conference t-shirt today. You can get it at breakingtea.com slash OG along with all of our other shirts. And you were actually making fun of the Blacksburg thing. I actually had a, I was talking to somebody last night at the game who says you tired of people complaining about the shirts. I'm like, it's not that they're complaining about the shirts. I like that people care enough to have opinions on the shirts and in, in person. Yeah. Black Blackburg's a Blacksburg's a little too Southwest. It's like in Tennessee. 
But that's kind of, that's you and I's fault because you had done the mock-up that I just sent to Breaking Tea. So I pulled up Google Maps. I'm like, okay, where exactly is Blacksburg in relation to where this, this thing is? So I pulled up the Google Maps. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the faint line of the state uh, border, right? And I'm looking at Blacksburg, which is right here. And where the dot is on the T-shirt is more like Grundy. I don't know Grundy. I didn't know that was an actual city in Virginia. If you're from Grundy, shout out to you. No, seriously, if you are from the Grundy area and you listen to this podcast, email us. The OG goes digital at gmail.com. And I will send you a shirt to Grundy because that's where the dot the dot really is. is. Yeah. Zoom out though. Let's see what we what are we what are we zooming out for? Yeah, I mean, like it's like, yeah, like Roanoke is right there. Blackburg's Blacksburg's right there. The dot is kind of like here. Yeah. Where the where the little horn pops up. So I mean, Charlottesville, Charlottesville. What are you gonna do about that? So anyway, I thought that was kind of funny. Um, you know what? Maybe Whitaker and Hamer can help us out in this. If regard. we get sued by anyone from Grundy, <laughs> yes. I you know mislabeled that. us. We're coming after you, Whitaker. As, as long as you don't call them Vatech, they're fine. This they, is they, true. they don't care as long as it's not that. That's a very good point. Check them out. WH.lawyer. Again, that's WH.lawyer. Whitaker and Hamer, attorneys and counselors at law. Also, big thanks to Longleaf Swine in downtown Raleigh. It's more than just the barbecue, folks. Okay. I just want you to know I went to the Swine before the Journey concert on Saturday. Okay. I got the chicken pot pie. Oh, really? Really? I didn't even know they had chicken pot pie. That sounds amazing. You know, I like to get the same thing every single time I go. Yeah, you're a weirdo like that. But now I've gotten the Ribbler. Delicious. I, the Smash Burger. Come on. It's fantastic. And now the chicken pot pie has me rethinking my entire existence. <laughs> it was amazing. All right. That's amazing. Good. That's good to know. That's good to know. I, I didn't realize that was even a thing. I'm kind of mad that I missed that on it. I might have to go this weekend. Maybe I'll bring a chicken pot pie to the tailgate. I don't Ooh. know. <laughs> don't tease me. <laughs> go check him out. Edenton and a person. Edenton person right there by the, the federal post office. Can't miss him. A really creative outdoor space. Unbelievable food. And then the shorties, they've inspired me also to stock. I know the you, home base with, with shorties. You and the high life shorties cracked me up because it kind of defeats the purpose. You're going to drink a six pack. No, they don't count. Okay. Everyone knows shorties don't count. Shorties don't count. I almost feel like we can start a new segment on this podcast called college football administrative news. <laughs> Because <laughs> we really are in the thick of there's no spring conversation. You know, obviously, it's too early to talk about next season. Oh, it's never too early to have the way too early. Good point. Good point. We're kind of inching towards draft season. So we can, yeah, we we're, can, we're muddling around in the, in the shallow end right now. We can start doing the, you know, what do NFL scouts think of Drake May? You know, Caleb Williams versus Drake May. And of course, there's always the wild card quarterback that will have their week of glory where, where, where Mel Kuyper is going to tell you he's moving up the draft board. Cool. There's ebbs and flows to this. But with college football administrative news, we have the approval of the five and seven format. The six and six format 
gone because, well, you know, the Pac-12 is dead. College football playoff, you're saying now we have five conference champions. Yes. That will be automatically the five highest ranked conference champions automatically. And the top four are the first four. Get their buys with the exception of Notre Dame. They'll never Never get a buy. Never get that. Because they really would hate to have to host a playoff game in those opening rounds. I know. It's terrible, right? That would be crazy. So awful. That would be terrible for their economy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, five and seven is the deal. But that's not really the news. The news is, or the drama that's happening today as of the recording of this podcast is, how are they going to divvy up the money? That's the part that's always been the most fascinating. That's why last week when you had the Ross Dellinger Yahoo Sports piece where Jim Phillips, ACC commissioner, is talking about, oh, no, I totally trust. There's nothing malicious going on with the Big Ten and the SEC. Baloney, because sure enough, whether it's reporting through our friend Nicole Hour back at The Athletic, whether it's Ross Dellinger at Yahoo, whether it's Andy Staples at On3, we're already starting to see the real issue where the SEC and the Big Ten are going to want the most amount of the pie because they feel that they're the two biggest conferences who will fill out most of the college football playoff at large berths. I think I don't think anybody's going to argue with that, right? And the fighting or the negotiation that's taking place with these conference commissioners of who gets what is also pissing off ESPN because ESPN's got this offer on the table. And John Orrand, who's now with Puck News, used to be with the Sports Business Journal, has been reporting that ESPN is starting to get antsy about the fact that they can't get their house in order on the college football thing, which, again, illustrates the point. Every single time college football administrators tell you, oh, no, we're all talking every day. Look this man in the eye. We're all on the same page. Ultimately, they're in it for themselves to the point where ESPN is trying to get this streaming service off the ground. And a big piece of what they want to do for the Cord Nevers, because that's who they're targeting with this joint streaming oh, service. I'm sorry, who? Cord Nevers, people who never signed up for cable ever. Not cord cutters, people who just never even bothered. The youths who never signed up and pay for anything. Okay. So that's a Cord Never. And this, what this, that's what the streaming service is for at ESPN. This is a crown jewel piece to get college kids to pay to watch sports. And ESPN's like, come on, guys. Get it to freaking gather. That's where we are, administrative wise. Do you have anything to add? To Me that? and ESPN pointing at each other, trying to get the youths right to pay for things. Ah, aha. everybody's ah. dealing with it. Oh, dude, <laughs> it was funny. It was funny last night at uh, at the NC State game. But I'll just watch it on YouTube. Okay, cool. That's. Well, I mean, why do I have to pay for that? I mean, okay. yeah, it was funny last night at the State Syracuse game. What I always love about Syracuse sporting events is Mm. that the students are always in suits. They're the last people in sports media that still dress up to go to random Tuesday night ACC basketball games. And I'm not making fun of it. It actually, it's commendable. I mean, I'm showing up in joggers, a t-shirt and a, and a jacket, you know, like I've given up, man, I'm approaching 45. I ain't trying to impress anybody at this point. I'm just here to watch the basketball, but the kids, man, they're dressed up. And there was somebody who was joking about, ah, well, he's a newspaper guy. And I just chimed in with the kids. I go, guys, we're all screwed. Okay. We're all screwed. Square that now, please. It's just, just understand <laughs> TV, newspaper, raw podcast, whatever. We're all, we're all effed, guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the, the sooner you recognize that, the better, including ESPN. <laughs> and that's why they're like, damn it, guys, let's do this. <laughs> okay. Speaking of inevitabilities, that's the other college administrative thing to get to. 
I mentioned Andy Staples. And as I was catching up on things from over the weekend, Staples wrote this piece about Friday's back and forth lawyering between the ACC and Florida State. And Andy Staples has a big, you know, breathless, the Florida State ACC negotiation will set the terms for more college football realignment. Okay, cool. And quote, because the ACC opened the door Friday afternoon for the next potential round of realignment on page 20 of a 40 page filing that asks for a dismissal or a stay of Florida State's lawsuit against the conference in Florida's Leon County, the ACC's attorney signaled a path to a logical endpoint in a case being litigated in two different states. The next move after that endpoint is probably yet another reshuffling that will once again alter our perception of which conferences hold how much power. And he goes on to say the ACC, whether intentional or not, indicated a willingness to negotiate with Florida State. It raised the possibility that there is a yet-to-be-agreed-upon dollar amount that would allow the Seminoles to leave the conference. Again, I like Andy. Andy's my guy. We chat. But this is not news. This is yet more examples of what we talked about from the day Florida State decided to file the lawsuit against the ACC. Their lawyers are going to have their stuff. The ACC lawyers are going to have their stuff. And you can go back to our podcast a couple days after it happened. It just simply started the conversation about what the number is going to be. The, the ACC didn't indicate anything new on Friday. And I think this is my frustration with this conversation. We're trying to treat every litigation or every legal maneuver as some sort of indicator of where things are going. It's not. It's all part of the larger game that is the same result. What is the final number that the ACC will be happy with and Florida State will be happy with? I don't know that number. You don't know that number. They're currently fighting through it. The only real question that I have, Joe, and I don't think anybody can answer it. We can guess. We can speculate. Is who is willing to spend more money in litigation down the line? I think I know my answer. I would say to you uh, through all of this, right? The ACC didn't want it to get to this point. No. So it was not in their interest to get to this point. Yeah. So how they do fight in court in some of these, you know, quote unquote, opening the door and some of those other negotiations. I do see the merit news wise of why Andy would write about that. Oh, sure, sure. Now sure. the extrapolation of, oh, you know, your mom's going to get mad at me, but like it, it, the domino theory, right? Of mm. communism. Oh my God. If Vietnam falls, it's over. Like, oh my God. The, I, yeah. the, the Cubans and everyone else are taking over the world. All right, sure. We're done, right? Like, okay, guys, let's just settle down. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're not going to extrapolate that if Florida State gets out, then all of a sudden everybody's out. Yeah. Right. Ultimately, I think you and I are on the same page. While ACC is in the court with Florida State, the ACC doesn't really exist anymore without ESPN. Mm -hmm. So I think the three of them kind of need to get into a room and then you say, okay, what is the solution here? Clearly, Florida State, you don't want to be in the ACC anymore. No. But I've got news for you. We still kind of, as we, the ACC, we, ESPN, still kind of own you. So how do we put you in a better position that helps us? Mm -hmm. Help me help you. Okay. Right. And I have more confidence that John Swafford, it never would have got to this point with John no. Swafford. Right. It would have been, hey, why don't you just go over to the Big 12? Mm -hmm. That way you're still with the, the ESPN umbrella. We can make something work. Blah, 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 blah. We can't wish and hope for what, what could have happened. I think it's fair to say what Florida State did was a win for them just to get this to court. Agreed. It was a win for them. Yeah, I agree. 
I think now the question is, is it going to be like you said, are they going to go down to the last dollar and go, you know, full DEFCON zero? Yes. Or, or is there some sort of compromise that comes in that quite frankly, the ACC is not going to like, but I think ESPN will like. Yeah. I'm, 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 I put my faith in ESPN getting their way and Florida state ultimately getting their way. Yes. Okay. And I know that I have, we have some Florida State people who will listen to our podcast, see what we say. Shout out to War Chant that occasionally picks up on what we talk about. Cool. Appreciate it. Because they're looking for other angles on this. I mean, they literally talk about this every yeah. day. And I understand why. And I want to be crystal clear how I feel about this because I feel like there's been some confusion about me like sticking up for the ACC and all this other stuff. I stopped with that. Like I stopped with that. Once the ACC decided to add those West Coast teams and SMU and not, not be proactive in college realignment the way they should have been, it was over. It's a wrap. Not to say that the ACC is going to cease to exist. It's just that the ACC that we know, the one that we give a shit about, will cease to exist. And it becomes an individualized, siloed situation for NC State, North Carolina, Duke, Wake Forest, et cetera, right? It's never going to be the same again. And Florida State wants out come hell or high water. And I commend them for this, which gets back to my central question. How much are you willing to spend to do so? And if they're out here talking openly about equity, okay, mm -hmm. getting these, essentially going in and doing the thing that has ruined company after company after company to help you get out of these situ situations with private equity, that shows you the willingness they're, 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 they're yeah. going for, right? And that's why... I, I put my money on Florida State to eventually get their way, one way or the other. It might not happen this year because you got to remember they have until August, mid-August yeah. to announce, hey, look, we're leaving the ACC. I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think we have another year of this negotiation, litigation, move to dismiss, move to stay, all the legal terms that get the people going online. But the, the, the crux is the same. How much is the price for everybody to get what they want in the same way that John Swafford and the ACC did with Maryland. And they learned their lessons from Maryland. They lost that one. And now you see the repercussions of that, that Florida state is trying to get out of because in this stuff, they opened the door. Yeah. They opened the door and that, Hey man, you want out of the ACC? Here's the price. That's always been the case. If you want to leave, you pay us half a billion dollars and you're free to go. And of course, Florida state financially is screwed that way. Cause it's going to take forever to make that money back. But what's the pain point for Florida State? Is it thirty? Is it three hundred million? Is it two hundred and fifty million? Can you make that back quicker? Can you get private equity to fill that out while you are waiting to become whole in the conference that you go to? So there's all sorts of pressure points that these sorts of things have be, to deal with. Yeah, I don't think it'll be that much now that we know about this unilateral oh, yeah. option yeah. that ESPN holds with the ACC network that yeah. nobody knew about because yeah. they've been blatantly hiding this from the people who are supporting it, which are the taxpayers for all of the public institutions. Yeah. And so, that's, and that's funny because that's a separate conversation altogether about. So I would say that, that they've changed all of the calculus. And that's why I say that the ACC has lost just by this thing getting as far as it has gotten. So the college football playoff is going to expand to 12. There's already talk of it expanding to 16 because it doesn't structurally change the college football playoff from 12 to 16. And as more and more revenue discussions uh, come to the forefront, 
there's been talk about the NCAA tournament expanding. Okay, fine. And I think you and I, when, when this news initially came out last week, we're both of the opinion of, you know what, now that we're at the 68 teams, what's another bunch of teams? What's 96? You know, what's 128? More tournament, cool, more teams, more access, et cetera. And Mike Krzyzewski was on with Chris, Chris Patola on Sirius XM. And I, I thought that Coach K gave the game away about what this is ultimately about, but where I think they're wrong. I'd like to see more credit being given to the teams that have done well and celebrate our sport. And, uh, and if looking, I th- think it's a deep look into uh, the tournament. Uh, you know, and what, what can, what can be done? Is there something that, you know, instead of the, like the conference tournament, although they make a lot of money that lends itself to the 64 or 68, you know, but is there a, uh, is there something in between the regular season and the tournament that we could add that would add to the game, but also uh, to give recognition uh, to uh, the, the coaches and the teams that have had terrific seasons. But uh, yeah, we didn't make the NCAA. Well, shame on you. You know, you, yeah, but we were 21 and six. Shame on you. And, and football does a lot better job of that. You know, you go six and six and you went, or seven and five or whatever it is. And God bless them. You know, the bowls are, they use the bowls to, you know, keep interest in college football during December. And then, then they have the playoff. So that's Mike Krzyzewski was with Chris Patola on Sirius XM. I love Kay, but he's absolutely wrong about this. And he is speaking like a coach who's just doing job preservation because you and I both know that the goalpost, to use a football term, will always move based on the criteria that's out there. So Coach K wants more recognition for a team that goes 21-5 and five, but doesn't make the NCAA tournament. That's a really weird thing. I don't know many Power 5 schools or high major basketball teams that go 21-5 and five and don't make the NCAA tournament. So are we talking about mid-majors that don't win their conference tournament or a mid-major team that has an excellent season and has that weird, fluky conference loss and they find themselves out of it? Okay, we can have that conversation. But if we're talking about high major basketball and you expand the tournament, cool, you're in, but that's still just going to move the goalposts as to what is success and what isn't. All right, you made the tournament in a field of 128. How far did you get? You didn't get far enough? Well, now that's what we're basing the criteria on. He brings on like celebrating six and six bowl teams or seven and five bowl teams. Buddy, nobody's celebrating that. People get fired after going six and six or seven and five, oftentimes making a bowl game. Yeah. I mean, it's a smaller clip there. I think Mike's larger point, and I think it's been one. Remember the, the uh, pandemic year, he wanted to make the whole year, the tournament. And I agreed with him on that. And I thought that was awesome. A brilliant idea. Exactly. No, he's got was, a lot of great ideas, man. He really does. There was I'm a Mike Gray, Jack Swarbrick in there too. Indiana guys being like, yeah, that's what we do in the state of Indiana. I, I think ultimately they need to expand the NCAA tournament to the point where Maybe 128 is too much, but I think 96, you're basically adding two weeks to the tournament. Yeah. But you know what, Joe? The regular season has lost so much value and appeal and has has basically, you know, done more, d- done as much to erode from 
college basketball as anything else mm-hmm. than being rudderless, obviously. I think it starts with what do you have that makes money? Well, this tournament does. I don't think you're overbloating it. You're you're at 350 Division One teams now. And as we see on a nightly basis, when you see transfers, UConn starts a guy who began his college career at Loyola, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Okay? You can't tell me that there isn't an even distribution of talent in college basketball the way that it has been jumbled up by the portal in NIL. It, I mean, it, I think we're way past the point where we can have a 96-team tournament. If the only thing that's making you money is the tournament, well, guess what? Make it a bigger tournament. Big thanks to Matt Davis over at State Farm for sponsoring Ovias and Gilio. Check them out. InsureGardner.com, TheOGInsurance.com, or call Matt directly at 919-779-8277. Or if you're watching on YouTube, just hold your phone up to the QR codes that Gilio is showing you on the screen. Very well done. Nice steady hand, Joe. Very proud of you on Working that on one. it. Very proud of you on that one. So again, save yourself some money, man. This, we've had a, this is like a no-brainer. We've had a couple of emailers, a couple of listeners email us on how much money they've been saving with Matt Davis at State Farm. So you should do the same if you're looking at saving money month to month and everybody's looking to cut back. This is a very easy way to do it. Speaking of saving money, we can save you 15% on great merch at homefieldapparel.com. Check out Homefield. They got great basketball, vintage-inspired goods, incredibly comfort, comfortable hoodies, and they got a new Hendrick Homefield crossover oh, that I'm intrigued by. Yeah, I'm intrigued by this. As they drop that at the end of the week. Again, use that promo code OG23 to save 15% off your order. Joining us on the Heaster Automotive Group hotline, WFNZ in Charlotte, Locked On Hornets podcast. He is Walker Mel, and he's going to explain, like, we're five years old, why. We're getting people in the YouTube comments, email, social media about, you need to talk about the Hornets. Walker, what's up, man? It's a beautiful thing. I'm glad people care. I'm glad. it's It's been a little bit, you know, the last three games, though, that's how deprived we were of decent, decent Hornets basketball. You win three games straight after the deadline and people are all in. It's an amazing thing. I hope you guys are doing well. So here's the, so uh, it all, all joking aside. The impression that I got was there was no buzz, pun intended, about the trade deadline. Classic, yep. And it's just a big shoulder shrug. But then post-trade deadline, the Hornets have life. And now people are like, whoa, 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 let's go. So what? what's really going on with the Hornets, a team that's 13th right now in the it's NBA? To find life. Right. Joe. I mean, it's like they're 13th right <laughs> a, now. A pulse. A pulse. They, they have one. Um, right. And, and speaking of 13, that's as many wins as they have on the season. After their three-game winning streak, they have 13 wins on the season. That's why Hornets fans are so happy because we're actually winning now. And it happens after we're supposed to be sellers, which is the weird part about all of this. Usually a team that sells at the trade deadline, they get worse because they're trying to get worse. No, they just didn't have any bench. This is how they're doing it, right? So the Hornets have had terrible, no good injury luck the past two years in a row. Like it was one of those things where you thought, well, okay, injury luck can't get any worse this year. But oh, wait, it actually did. It actually did. So now that you have all of these injuries, Mitch Kupchak, whether you agreed with him or not, the general manager of the Hornets thought, all right, 
I think we have a roster going into this season that can compete for a play-in spot. But then all the injuries happen. They probably were a little off base with their original thinking anyway. And then they all of a sudden didn't have an NBA lineup on the bench. Like they just had zero bench players that should be in the NBA at that moment. Late first round pick in Nick Smith Jr. playing a lot of minutes. Guys like Nathan Minsa, who unfortunately has been the butt of a lot of jokes, but he was supposed to be in the greens in the Greensboro Swarm system forever. Like supposed to be there this year, and now he's getting real rotation minutes. And so the the fact that you trade PJ Washington, a real NBA player, to the Dallas Mavericks, you get a couple of guys back in Grant Williams and Seth Curry. You trade Gordon Hayward, you get a few bench players that weren't playing for Oklahoma City, like getting zero run, but they're real NBA players. They were just on a team that's like battling for first in the Western Conference. And so when those guys come over to Charlotte, all of a sudden they get a new opportunity. They're real NBA players and the Hornets have an eight, nine man rotation that they can win with and have since the deadline. So that's the weird part. It's the fact that they're sellers, they get better, but it's actually because they turned like a couple of good individual players that weren't affecting how the Hornets were winning in the regular season. They just needed more bodies like we needed more capable bodies. The Hornets got that at the deadline and they went on a three game winning streak. At the risk of opening up Panther wounds, do the Hornets have their first round pick for the upcoming draft? <laughs> you know what, Joe? They've got multiple first round. There we picks. go. It's there very go. different. <laughs> it's very different. In fact, when they traded PJ Washington away, they got a top two protected first round pick, which is pretty bonkers for PJ. And I and I was a PJ apologist. Like everybody can tell you, I was the one that liked PJ on this squad, but I never thought he'd get a top two protected first. They get a protected first from Miami in the Terry Rozier trade, and they got a couple of seconds in the Gordon Hayward trade. So it's very different than what the Panthers are dealing with. So, yeah, no, no wounds there. So they have assets. They have a face. They have assets. He just needs to be healthy. Mm-hmm. They have assets, man. Yeah, he does need to be healthy. Lots um, of people need to be healthy. I hate to be this guy. Um, but because they have two karma. Killers. Is this going to be a theme before you ask every question? You know, not to bring up old wounds. No, I hate yeah, to be no. this guy. Because it's just not delicate. Yeah. But I do not. believe in karma. So they draft Brandon Miller, who has his own problematic background. Hmm. Uh, and they have obviously Miles Bridges, who has a problematic ongoing issues. Yep. Is it possible that the 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 Hornets are just on the wrong side of karma? with these two guys who are actually fairly key pieces to what they're trying to do. Well, that would absolve them of responsibility, right? That it's, Oh, yeah. it's only, it's yeah. only karma. So yeah. you know, look, this is, we had to fall in this. Like what else was going to happen? We don't bring back somebody that was arrested for felony domestic violence. No, we're, we're going to bring that guy back. Yeah. So it, I, the bad luck part in this comes with drafting miles and you not being able to foresee that happening. Right. And he hits in the draft in 2018. That was actually Mitch Kupchak's first NBA draft, a part of the Hornets. And then the Brandon Miller thing, you know, the, the Brandon Miller stuff, I, I think Alabama handled it horribly. They yeah. handled it yeah. horribly. At the same time, like, I understand why you still draft Brandon Miller second overall, because that's it, it's it's a terrible mistake. Nate Oates needs to let Brandon Miller just go ahead and not play for a little bit. But like, I, I understood with the information that the Charlotte Hornets gathered, at least they tell us that they gathered nothing's bad happened since stemming from that original incident anyway. So 
like the Brandon Miller stuff. Yeah, they drafted him. It was messy. Nothing's happened since then. Okay, Miles, you draft him. Everything's been messy about that situation. So you're talking about the summer of 2022, arrested for felony domestic violence, eventually pleads no contest. And then right before this season starts, so he doesn't play all 82 games, doesn't play the first 10 games of this season because of a weird suspension the NBA hands out where, okay, it's a 30-game suspension, but we're going to say 20 of that has already been served. So you're going to miss the next 10 games this year. It was very odd. It was more financial based because it actually dings him in the pocket a little bit more so. But you miss the first 10 games, 92 overall. Before you even have the season start, now you have an alleged violation of the protection order against Michelle Johnson. And that's the mother of his children. Spotty reporting at the beginning where we couldn't even pin down the location of where this incident happened. And then eventually that got dropped because there wasn't enough evidence to go to trial. It's been a mess with yeah. miles. And now it looks like miles might be here long-term, you know, mm -hmm. in, to continue to go on here, the, the qualifying offer is what he agreed to. And so, because it was such a weird situation, right? Miles, the talent is worth, 25 million dollars a year and was going to get the max contract before he got arrested that was going to happen mitch kupchak not being able to keep a secret at the podium told yeah. you yeah. we're going to sign miles bridges to the max and then that happens so now it's like all right do we bring him back do any other teams bring him nobody knew how to pay him so it's like okay we'll just do the easy thing he agrees to the qualifying offer that gives him power to veto any trade that's on the table and then he reaches unrestricted free agency this upcoming offseason. So once he hits, you know, once we get to the deadline, there were rumors about the Hornets wanting to trade him. But then Rich Paul comes out and says, nope, not accepting any trade. Doesn't matter. I, I don't care if he's going to a contender. We're not accepting anything. We're going to stay right here. We're going to figure it out in unrestricted free agency. Now the Hornets under new ownership, they just might bring him back. They just might do it. And that's that's where I was going to lead you to with new ownership. I, I've said for the longest time that the Charlotte Hornets are in a situation right now where the Carolina Hurricanes were just a few years ago in that they stunk. I mean, there was really no other way around it. They mm -hmm. stunk for 10 years. Well, they, the Hornets haven't stunk. They've kind of been on the Canes treadmill of I would, you're in the ninth, 10th spot trying to get into the eighth spot. That's not stinking. That's they, mediocrity. I, I would yeah. say that that's actually worse than stinking. I, I agree. You'd okay. rather bottom out and get the number right. one pick. Well, there's been a lot of like been really bad. And I get your point, too. But it's so the whole second iteration has been terrible. Mm -hmm. Bobcats turned Hornets. <laughs> the most here, we'll put it this way. The most successful season they've had since the second iteration was a seven game series in the first round against Miami. Yeah. 2015, 16. That's it. So that's and like, that, you know, over 20 years of that happening. And that was ruined by the uh, the purple shirt guy with the backpack. You know a little bit. I you mean, know I, I dabble. I dabble in the horns. <laughs> but my question is, much like the Hurricanes were in that, and you're right, the Hurricanes and the Hornets were more similar in that they were in the worst possible spot. Right. They weren't good enough to make the playoffs, but they weren't terrible enough to help yourself out with the draft position, okay? And that's that, a purgatory that you, you don't want to be in for over a decade. That's where the Carolina Hurricanes were. I feel like the Hornets were in a similar situation, but now they have new ownership. Is like, what is the culture? Of the Hornets. I can point to the Hurricanes under Tom Dundon, especially yeah. Rod Brindamore as the head coach, and go, I know what your culture is, and it's paid off with playoff appearances. What is the Hornets culture post-Jordan right now? It, well, well, post-Jordan, it's great. 
it's you know as at least as good as it can be because you think about the trade deadline they went out and they got five veterans to come play on this squad so that's pretty damn big revamp right like you're talking about a bunch of dudes that have played in the nba for quite some time seth curry grant williams already being viewed as this leader bringing the physicality and then you bring in a guy that's technically a rookie and vasilia micic but was euro league mvp just it took him a while to come over to the nba and he's been really good Mm -hmm. so now you bring in a bunch of new faces which matters for this team that had just been losing and losing and losing so you trade Terry, you trade a bunch of these other guys that had been in the locker room and they didn't have any leaders, not any vocal ones anyway. And so I think now that you might have a vocal one in Grant Williams, you have guys that, you know, bring the intensity at least every single night. There was a real effort issue. And I think that's lazy analysis sometimes. Oh, they didn't win. They just didn't bring the effort. Nah, man, they weren't bringing the effort. Like you could see it defensively. It was terrible getting back in transition defense. And so now they're doing that. They, they've done that since they got these guys in a New Jersey. The, 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 the culture here now, you can tell it's starting to change. And that's true even from the opinions of national NBA pundits. I had Tim Bontemps on Wesson Walker yesterday. Mm-hmm. said the same thing. Like it, There's something good happening with the Hornets. And the Hornets, I mean, they get clowned in like the most passing way all the time. Like if you listen to Bill Simmons, that's his go-to example of terrible basketball. If he's talking about, oh, this isn't some guy just playing for Team X. No, Team X is always Charlotte. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens with all of these national NBA podcasts. That, that's, that was what the culture was thought of. And like to be fair, they had a lot of really good guys in that locker room for a while. Like Kimba was like a top five good guy in the NBA. Marvin Williams, all-time personality. I mean, won like, you know, NBA media award every single season. They had good dudes. But then once... Those guys left, and then you had the Lamelo Ball era, Miles Bridges, Terry Rozier taking over. Nobody really stepped up into that role, and they did a lot of losing, lots of it. So yeah, it's changing, Joe. Like the, the culture was pretty bad, mm-hmm. and it's and it's changing. Hopefully, it continues to head the right direction. All right, can we can we do this again? A little explain like we're five with the Hornets because I'm yeah. I, I got no idea, man. <laughs> explain what what do you mean what do you want me to explain to you i mean you know like should we get hyped up about a three-game winning streak which you explain today we'll see where things <sighs> you go. Know. I, mean, I know they waived fees they waived fees for like the last 11 home games that kind of oh. told you to get people in the building waived that's true that's fees. true yeah. they did waive fees nice. for the last like 11 that. games that's nice. That's nice. but but there was a meeting with season <laughs> ticket holders oh you know what's coming here and they're gonna raise prices next year oh <laughs> that's right on average of 80%, but the guys in the lower level, and to be fair to them, they are, it is going to come with private club access that you've oh. never had before. It's going to be all-inclusive food, and so there's going to be the amenities, but some of the tickets are going to raise up to as much as, yes, 225%. Now, season ticket holders weren't very happy because even the rich people don't want to pay for more. Like That's clear, but even so, like they are arguing for a better product before you raise it 200% to 80% on the low. Like, yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. so, so that hurts. It, it It is nice to see that they're, they're headed in the right direction. Brandon Miller's a stud, man. Like yeah. he's, he's the real deal. He's all NBA potential. And I was loud about Scoot Henderson, man. People still won't let me forget it. And I hear you. I was loud about Scoot. Brandon is awesome. Like what he's doing out there on the wing He's just shooting crazy, about 40% from three-point range, 38, I think, to be exact, which is great as a rookie. And so the fact that you have Brandon looking like a legit 
ceiling, like NBA, all NBA type level type of guy. We have to get LaMelo healthy, and then those guys could do a lot of damage. Remember, the Hornets are going to be bad enough to get a pretty high pick in this year's draft, even if it's not considered good. Like those things change all the time. So they're headed in the right direction. You know, we'll see. I, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll keep an eye on it. All right, man. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. Walker Mill. Yeah. Locked on Hornets. We'll talk to you later, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Y'all happy now? We talked about the Hornets. Get off my back. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm joking, folks. Hey, I'm joking. The season starts back up again on Thursday. Looking forward to it. We're going to start bringing you Hornets haiku next week. Can't wait to put chat GBT to work. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's do it. Uh, speaking of getting some work done, Mosquito Authority, Pest Authority, check them out online, bugsbite.com. Bundle and save for your outdoor service as spring and summer come around. And of course, your indoor service keep the bugs out because not only do you need to worry about mosquitoes and keeping those at bay so you can enjoy your patio time grill and all that fun stuff when it gets warmer guess who wants in joe the ants you don't want that no i already had a little ant action going on in the underneath the uh, garage there crawl space action all you gotta do go to bugsbite.com keep those suckers away Big thanks to Hometown Realty as well. Interest rates fluctuate. They are coming down. That has people curious about, huh, you know what? I might not have wanted to sell my house last year. Maybe I I, I didn't want to buy a house this this past year because of the inter, inter, interest rates being high. But as they come down, your calculus changes. And this is where Hometown Realty can help out. Get in before the frenzy. Yeah, I was going to say, every morning I drive by all of these new developments. <laughs> yeah, man. And a lot of them are very affordable. So if you're a first-time home buyer, you know, you, A, you got to know where to start. So the first thing you should do is reach out. You go to myhtr.com, figure out what you can afford and figure out how do you get in on some of those affordable first-time buy, housing buying experience. I seem a bit confused. Well, baby. I got you pegged. Whenever I don't know what to do about a salad and scrambled eggs. One of our listeners, uh, Myron, pointed me out, uh, pointed out this WFNZ poll from Mac and Bone, uh, their morning show out in Charlotte. Which triangle area hoops teams fans complain about the refs the most? Uh, UNC, Duke, or NC State? Come on now. State. <laughs> it's not is even it? close. Is it? Yeah, it's not even close. You sure? It, I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure. State is number one. <laughs> Come on. State is number one. <laughs> Carolina gives them a run for their money, though. Maybe, but this is like, it's, a di- it's a different level of yeah, complaint. I know it is different, but this is like Duke fans who complain when they have the toughest schedule. It's I like, know. Please do not let me, please do not break my brain. You will never have the most difficult <laughs> schedule because you will never be able to play Duke at Duke. Oh, so stop. That's funny. Uh, speaking of Duke and Carolina, uh, from Bluest Deuce, he pointed this out yesterday. Yesterday was the 10-year anniversary of the rescheduled Duke-Carolina game oh. that was postponed from that freak snowstorm that had taken place on February 12th. Okay. So he just said, hey, man, 10-year anniversary of one of the more hilarious days in Triangle Sports history. And he pulled up, this is from ESPN.com, and they pulled up this classic photo of Roy in shorts in the snow. <laughs> Trying to, you know, <laughs> hanging out with the students, right? And if you're like, wait a minute, what happened 10 years ago? If you're a younger audience member, <laughs> 10 years ago, 
we had this freak snowstorm. When you see the the, the Photoshop of Glenwood Avenue, you, you'll see this image of Glenwood, a woman on a phone. There's a car that caught fire because they were running their tires too much. They couldn't get going. That caused the friction. That caused a spark. That caused the car to catch fire. And people have done incredible photoshops. There was the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. There was an AT-AT Walker. All sorts of stuff, right? But the part that cracks me up to this day still isn't the Photoshop. It's the amount of people that didn't believe Duke's inability to get to the Smith Center. And they did it themselves. Had a guy mention, I was in my Honda Fit. There was a YouTube of a guy going, screw Duke. I just did this trek myself. And of course, there's the goat. Brett Strelow walking, who walked the whole damn thing. Yes. To this day, our guy. To this day, my understanding is that the reason why Duke did not show up to that game is because the bus never showed up. So, of course, that would lead you to Carolina fans going, cool, we'll come pick you up. Because remember, Carolina wanted a repeat of the Maryland game. I think it was the 99 snowstorm mm-hmm. where the students no, filled out the I think Matt was that 98. Was, no, no, no. There was a Matt. That was oh, that was Matt Doherty one. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So that had to be like what a one or something. Yeah, like they were only good one year under him. So. Yeah, so that that might have been it. That might have been it. So yeah, happy anniversary to that. We got a lot of responses to our conversation about the NBA All Star Game and you know the current state of the NBA and interest levels and things like that. I want to thank JJ Redick and Austin Rivers for proving. Oh boy, for proving my point from yesterday. And that the NBA is in a really weird spot where NBA discussions revolve more around what people say rather than what actually happens on the court. And it's anecdotal, but a lot of people will tell you, yeah, I might watch a handful of NBA games, but I absolutely consume just about every podcast that exists around the NBA. And coming out of the all-star break, it looks like everybody's doing what they can to keep their podcast going. This is a lesson that maybe you and I need to learn. I was going to say, well, what are we knocking here, sir? Should we should we start a fight with somebody? <laughs> no. Because that's what this is about. No, no, no. So no, no, no. it's time for my favorite thing. Context. Doc Rivers is now the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Doc Rivers, coach of the Bucks. Got it. Doc Rivers was a consultant for the Bucks while he was also working at ESPN. He pulled a Dick Cheney, yes. And the Bucks, even though they had a decent record, pulled a David Blatt. Remember Cleveland, they had David Blatt. They were kind of okay, but they weren't to the level they wanted. So they fired them, worked out for them, et cetera. So during the all-star break, Doc Rivers had this to say on Sirius XM. Personally, I, you know, I'll be honest. I, I told our owners uh, when they called, I said, I think you, you, I don't understand why you're doing this, you know? Um, and they said, you know, one of the things they said was, well, it doesn't matter. We're, we've done it now. And um, we, we, we want you. And, and so that was a tough one. I didn't, I, that was, that's where you had the hesitation. <laughs> so there's, there's already a lot to process there. These owners just haphazardly fired somebody and you're going, why'd you do this? What, what was your explanation for this? Doesn't matter. We did it. We want you, which kind of shows you the knee jerk nature of the new ownership in Milwaukee. And that's who you want to work for. Oh, NBA coaches are hired to be fired. Sir. This is true. This Come on is now. true. So J.J. Redick, who played under Doc Rivers in L.A., heard this clip and wanted to make a huge point about this. So J.J. Redick on first take calls out Doc Rivers for something that NBA observers, those around the NBA, have said about Doc Rivers for a long time. 
there's a honeymoon phase with Doc, right? Doc charms everybody, but at the end of the day, it doesn't work out. JJ has experienced this, and JJ decided to put him on blast. Side note, real quick: no one's going to react to Doc's audio there. We've been yeah, seven you minutes oh. since we showed that audio. Nobody's going to react to Doc's audio. Do you want me to get it oh, Doc, for you? He's look, doing. He's doing. Repeat it. I can, I can repeat it. I can. Repeat I, I've it. seen the trend now. I've seen the trend for years. What's the trend? The trend is always making excuses. Get Doc. We get it. Taking over a team in the middle of the season is hard. It's hard. We get it. Just like getting traded in the middle season is hard for a player. We get it. But it's always an excuse. It's always throwing your team under the bus. They lose to Memphis. Oh, it's his players. Memphis was playing G League guys and two-way guys. Then you look at his quotes over the weekend. Now he wants to take credit for the James Harden trade to the Clippers working out. He wants credit for that. There's just no <laughs> there's never accountability with that guy. Well, there's never say. accountability. So that's JJ Reddick on first day. Clearly, he has an axe to grind. Mm. And I don't blame That's fine. People are like, oh, it sounded really personal. It's first take. It's always uh, personal on first take. It's also, he played for him. Yeah, and he played for him. Guess so, what? Yeah, man. It is personal. <laughs> but what I think is funny is, oh, man, JJ sounded really personal. Stephen A. Smith looks at the camera and challenges Kevin Durant to a fight all the time. It's personal. It's well, always personal on that show. I think show. some of it's performative, but I don't think JJ's reaction there is performative. I think no. he's talking if we had julius hodge on this program right now and asked him about right. george carl right you you could bet what his visceral reaction would be yes absolutely this of course then gets us to the most surreal moment of this entire experience austin rivers okay so jj reddick went to duke yeah. doc river he played for doc, doc rivers doc rivers had a son austin yes. who played for duke as well yes Different times, but they're all supposed to be in the brotherhood. It's all the brotherhood. So Austin Rivers goes on ESPN's NBA show and says this about J.J. Redick. Um, I mean, first off, I don't feel responsible to take off. He's a grown man. He could do his own thing. Uh, but in this regard, I just simply don't agree with it. Um, for someone who's not accountable, he seems to always be held responsible, considering he's the guy that's always fired when things don't <laughs> go right. He got fired in the bubble uh, for a 3-1 lead versus the Denver Nuggets, which in half his team... Didn't want to be there. They had players saying that their mind wasn't there. He had guys leave. That happened. Then he gets fired for losing to a team that was favored over him, which was the Celtics last year. Um, By the way, what's Austin Rivers doing there? He's making excuses. Seems like he's always responsible. It's just a strange coming from JJ. And I have some love for JJ. You're my dookie. You know that. You're my bro. I love you. <laughs> um, it's the brotherhood. It's just your best years were with the Clippers. I don't think he saved your career. I appreciate you, Pat. But I Oh, quick context. Pat Beverly, teammate, Clippers, went on online and said, hey, man, that guy saved your career. Uh, Which, of course, JJ goes, what are you talking about? Like, I had offers. What are we, what are we doing here? Anyway, so Austin Rivers continues. I don't think it... I mean, I, this just seems a little bit weird. They're, they're three and seven. Dame's missed most of those games. Milton's missed a lot of those games. They haven't even had their full team yet. We'll see what happens. The pressure is there. They do have to perform. But in terms of accountability, like, what, what are we doing here? Your best years in the NBA were when you played for him in the Clippers. Let's not forget that. I don't know if there's, like, frustration there or there's tension there between you. I know a lot of times we had to sit you towards the end of the game due to defensive reasons. But you... <laughs> we... <laughs> we had your best years as a starter there especially our whole system was drafted around you because you're a shooter you're not a guy who can put the ball on the floor you are a strictly shoot guy you're not like clay thompson or steph who can put the ball on the floor you're a guy who could catch and shoot and you did it at a high level hell of a career by the way big fan 
but your best year. Love you, but I'm going to slam you. Years were under him. It's just very ironic and kind of weird that you have this energy towards him in terms of him never, ever being accountable, considering he's always been responsible. So that's that's Austin Rivers. Like the energy, the, the weirdness. I'd, I'd say Austin Rivers is very, very weird with this energy using our and we and various other stuff. Isn't awesome? Oh, yeah, there's like a whole thing there too. Yeah, there's layers, man. There's layers. Not with this. JJ, but like Rivers is sister or somebody's sister yeah. is married to a Curry. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's all like over a the whole place. thing. It's a whole thing. I bring all this up because Austin Rivers actually hit on something that is actually bothering me with how we talk about stuff now in sports, and I don't know if it's a trend that will go away and only get worse from here as players enter the space and have their own thing. We're not arguing on the merits of what the person said. We saw this with Cam Newton yeah. and Brock Purdy. We are not discussing the merits of what the person said. I think Brock Purdy is a game manager and I explain why I think he's a game manager. Cool. Done. You can argue why you don't think he's a game manager. Got it. Same with JJ Reddick. Pointing out, hey, man, when you look at Doc Rivers' history, and he's not alone in saying this, NBA insiders will tell you that Doc Rivers has a honeymoon phase. He wears out his welcome, comes up short, and there's a group of players that do not like him. And JJ's expressing this as somebody who literally lived it with the Clippers. And instead, I'm going based on the merits of what JJ Redick is saying about Doc Rivers, about how it's always something. What does Dawson Rivers do in that entire clip? Why aren't you? You you were great under him. Why are you saying Except that this? you weren't? It's like you were great under him. I mean, you couldn't play defense. You were awesome. We loved you. Mean it. Hey, Dookie, fellow Dookie, man, your defense sucked. <laughs> like, like all this other stuff. But what is his? What does JJ's career? What does JJ's playing career have to do with what he is saying? This, again, the same thing with with Cam Newton talking about Brock Purdy. What does Cam Newton's career have to do with what he is saying about the current player? And it's this interesting trend that I do not like. And it basically tells me now, going forward, going forward, anytime I hear an Austin Rivers or a sports talk show host not discuss the merits of the opinion and go directly at somebody's statistics to dismiss it, you've lost the argument. Yeah, Straight up, you've lost the argument. It is the new version of you never played the game. That's what that is. Never had your hand. You never had your hand in the dirt. Or anyway. you did, but remember that time you did and you failed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the new way to go about it. Uh, you know what never fails? Breeze through coffee. Hit them up. Breeze through. Locations across triangle. We will be at the breeze through before our OG tailgate on Saturday because we got to get ice. Yeah, we got to get we got stocked up and ready to go. We're going to so, need some dark roast coffee as well. Yes, we will. So hit up hit up Breeze through across the triangle across North Carolina. And as we mentioned with the OG tailgate, Butcher's Market's going to be in the house. Kenneth is going to be helping us out. Maybe you want to get an NCAA tournament spread, an ACC tournament spread. You want to bring the AV card out and you want to have the goodies around. You want to grill? Butcher's Market can help you out with that. So check them out. Butcher's Market, new location in Lake Boone Shopping Center. Great for lunch as well. We appreciate Butcher's Market for sponsoring Ovi's and Gilio. We will see you for an OG Live, Sleek Fleet OG Live, Thursday, 2 o'clock on YouTube with the podcast to follow. Mm-hmm.